This afternoon we confess Lord's Day 8 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 8. And there the church has summarized the gospel as follows. How are these articles divided? And then the references to the 12 articles of the Apostles' Creed. Into three parts. The first is about God the Father and our creation. The second about God the Son and our redemption. The third about God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Since there is only one God, why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because God has so revealed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. So far, our confession. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, in this section of the letter to the Hebrews, which we read together earlier on, the main issue is how can a person become perfect? There's a, the word perfection is used a couple of times there. How can a person become perfect? That's actually something our, our world is always busy with, isn't it? Think of the Olympic motto, faster, higher, stronger. And as the Olympic documents state, the motto expresses the aspirations of the Olympic movement, not only in its athletic and technical sense, but also from a moral and educational perspective. Faster, higher, stronger. Looking for a better world, longing for a better future. In fact, we could say that the whole of creation, as Paul writes in Romans, groans, longs for the ex expectation in the expectation of the, the complete renewal of all things, the perfection of everything. A lot of people today think that that perfection can be found through human means and possibilities, but we know and we believe that they're, they're fooling themselves, right? Fooling themselves. Restoration, perfection, full salvation can only come from above from the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we confess in Lord's Day 8. The Father who cares, who creates us and cares for us, the Son who saves us, and the Spirit who sanctifies us. And that's the comfort of our confession of the Trinity, that our salvation completely is the work of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You find that expressed all the way through the Bible. In fact, you cannot understand the Bible unless you accept the Holy Trinity, that it's God, Father, Son, and Spirit who perfects us sinners. And you see that, for instance, in the passage we read from Hebrews 10. And I'll proclaim to you that passage with Lord's Day 8 in mind, and the theme is the triune God brings us to perfection. You see, that's the God the Father's will, that's God the Son's work, and that's God the Spirit's word. 
First of all, God brings us to perfection, and that's the, God the Father's will. The Old Testament is quoted a lot in this letter to the Hebrews in the first 18 verses of Hebrews 10. For instance, you have two Psalms quoted, Psalm 40 and Psalm 110 are quoted there. The writer used those quotes to show God's purpose, his plan of salvation, his will to save. The, the differences between the Old and New Covenants are mentioned. You see this book was written to Jewish Christians who were in danger of becoming estranged from the Christian faith. They were becoming lax. They were becoming careless in their lives as Christians. For instance, later on in Hebrews 10, verse 25, they're exhorted not to forsake the worship services, which they apparently were doing. This letter reminds those Jewish Christians that in Old Testament times, God made his covenant with Israel. And that old covenant, God had, in that old covenant, God had prescribed strict rules for worship, for sacrifices, for ceremonies, as you can find that in the books of Exodus and Leviticus, all those rules and regulations. Once a year, for instance, on the great day of atonement, the high priest had to make atonement for his own sins and for the sins of the whole nation of Israel. He was only allowed into the, the Holy of Holies on that one day every year. And in that Holy of Holies, behind that heavy veil or curtain stood the golden ark. And on that one great day of atonement, the high priest would go through the curtain and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifices on the mercy seat of the ark and on the ground in front of the ark. But it was clear that because those sacrifices had to be brought every time again, year by year, over and over, they could, they could never really perfect those who worshiped there in the temple. Couldn't make them perfect. The blood of bulls and goats cannot really take away sins. In order for Israel to live in the relationship with God, there in fact had to be, in the Old Testament, a constant stream of blood in the temple. But all that animal blood could not remove the guilt of Israel's sins. No, those sacrifices were in fact just shadows. They were depictions of something that was much greater. When you see a shadow, you just see the outline of something. So those sacrifices, they were a shadow of the great sacrifice which was promised by God and which would take away the sins of the people once and for all. What was clear, though, was that that blood had to flow. Atonement for sins could only come by means of blood, by, by a taking of a life. Someone had to give his life. And you, you see, in all that blood, then, it was God's will for the people to think of their sins and the need for forgiveness. God didn't really desire the blood of bulls and goats as, uh, as that quote from Psalm 40 shows there in, in this chapter. He desires repentance from sins. A broken and contrite heart. So all those sacrifices pointed to a sacrifice that would satisfy for sins once and for all. The thing is, congregation, Israel could clearly see God's will in those sacrifices. God made his will known, his will for salvation. They, they showed that God wanted to bring about full atonement 
for the, the, his people, for the sins of his people. That's what he was working on, his will. Without that full atonement for sins, no relationship with God was possible. And the fact that those sacrifices continued year after year showed clearly that they couldn't make anybody perfect. You could never become perfect by keeping the law of sacrifices. No, God showed in those sacrifices and ceremonies it was his will, his plan to free his people from their sins and make them perfect by means of a great, single, wonderful sacrifice. We remember that sacrifice this afternoon with the Lord's Supper celebration. God's Son came into our flesh in order to fulfill the will of his Father. He was willing to give himself completely in order to do the will of his Father in heaven. That's why that quote from Psalm 40, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And what great love Jesus had for his Father in heaven then too. He did the will of God from manger to tomb. And that's why it says in Hebrews 10 verse 9 that Jesus took away the first that he may establish the second. That means he did away with all those Old Testament sacrifices and offerings and established his doing his Father's will even to the cross as the salvation of his people. By, by that will of God, then, we have all been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, it says, verse 10. That will of God, then, is manifested in the gracious sending of his Son for our salvation. By that will, we have been sanctified. We have been set apart for God to be his own children. The law would never bring you to perfection. Only the will of God the Father can bring you to perfection. In love, he sent his Son in your flesh for you. Perfectly fulfilled the will of his Father, even when it meant the, when it meant the cross for him. Father, if possible, he prayed, let this cup pass by me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And that will, that will of God the Father was that his son give himself completely over to hell and to death for you. That's the Father's will. We come to the second point. God brings us to perfection, and that's also the son's work. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the work of God's Son for us is of incalculable worth. You, you see that in the verses 11 to 14 of Hebrews 10. You know, that, that whole sacrificial worship of Israel that culminates in that one sacrifice of that one man, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That's what God makes very clear at the death of Jesus when that veil of the temple tore from top to bottom. That was obviously God's doing, and he, and he shows in that that the atonement for sins has taken place once and for all. The, an, the annual sacrifices and the sprinkling with blood on the Day of Atonement no longer had to take place anymore. The shadow wor worship is all finished because the real sacrifice has already taken place then. The priestly service in the temple is no longer necessary because 
the sacrifices carried out in the temple cannot take away sins. That can only be done by what Jesus, God's Son, has done for us. See, it was God's will to make salvation possible for us. It had to come from Him. Jesus is God's Son, and He finished the work the Father gave Him to do. His work wasn't, of course, completely over with His suffering and death on the cross. He rose from the dead, he ascended, he is seated at the right hand of God, and he continues to work from there. In heaven, he entered the heavenly holy of holies, and there is our eternal priest. He intercedes for us on the basis of his once-for-all sacrifice. He lays that blood of his before the throne of God. But the thing is, in this chapter, we see that his work of atonement is finished. In that regard, Jesus being seated in heaven has special significance. In the Old Testament, the priests were never allowed to be seated while they did their work. They had to always stay standing. Never allowed to sit down in the temple. There were no chairs in the temple. Their work was never done, in other words. The work always had to keep going on in, in the temple there. Blood had to flow continually, but... But then we see Jesus ascending into heaven and he sits down at the right hand of the Father. And that means his work of atonement is finished. The old covenant fulfilled. Now there's a new covenant in his blood. And we remember that finished atoning work of Christ and that new covenant in his blood this afternoon. But even though Christ's atoning work is finished, the kingdom of God is not finished yet. Citizens have to be brought in. Enemies need to be uh, defeated. All Christ's enemies will ultimately have to acknowledge his authority. They will be made his footstool. Hebrews 10, verse 13, quotes Psalm 110. In the end, his enemies will bow before him and he'll place the, his foot on their necks as kings did in ancient times when they conquered enemies. For those who reject Jesus' work of atonement, in other words, their rejection will ultimately mean total humiliation and defeat. But that finished work of atonement is the point here, and that, that's a great relief and joy to those who believe in Jesus Christ. Verse 14 puts it wonderfully. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. By one offering, Jesus has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Perfected forever. That's what those who are being sanctified now may believe. They have been perfected forever. Those who aren't perfect by a long shot, but who wish they were. They have been perfected by that one sacrifice. And they are those who are encouraged in our form for Lord's Supper to take part there. Those who are heartily sorry for their shortcomings and desire to fight against their unbelief and to live according to all God's commandments. They may be fully assured that no sin or weakness which still remains in them against their will can prevent them from being received by God and grace 
and being made worthy partakers of the heavenly food and drink. The form is talking about those who are being sanctified. They're not perfect, but they wish they were. Those who know their sins, who love their Savior, wish they could serve Him better. They are perfected in Christ already before God. Do you recognize yourself as one of those? Well, then you're told in verse 14 that your perfection is sure and certain because of what Christ did. You have in reality already been perfected in God's sight in Christ. You know you're imperfect, but through your embracing Christ in faith, you know you're actually perfected already. So you don't have to add a thing to his great sacrifice for you. And that's our big problem, right? We always think we have to add something to it, something else, good works or something. No, it's done. You can live in love and gratitude. You're free to live in love and gratitude. Christ has already taken care of your sins with his blood. No other offerings needed at all. It's done and finished for you. The word assures you of that. And the sacrament. We come to the last part of the sermon. God brings us to perfection, and that's the Spirit's word. You paid attention to the will of God the Father and the work of God the Son in bringing many to perfection. Now we look at what that passage of Hebrews 10 says about the Holy Spirit. And notice, by the way, that all three persons of the Trinity clearly then come to the fore in those first 18 verses of Hebrews 10. Again, you, you can't read or understand the Bible if you don't confess the Holy Trinity. In the verses 15 to 18, the word of the Holy Spirit comes to the fore, and it says in verse 15 that the Spirit witnesses to us speaks to us what he knows for certain. Hebrews mentions the speaking of the Spirit more often. Chapter 3, verse 7, Psalm 95 is quoted. And that quotation is introduced like this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, notice the Holy Spirit is spoken of as a person, and he speaks with divine authority. He speaks in verses 15 to 18 of Hebrews 10. That's a quotation from the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34. And that quotation is about the new covenant that God promises to make with his people. He will put, he will put his laws into their hearts, and in their minds he will write them. Everyone, in other words, will have God's will and way written in their hearts. They want to do that. And the Spirit speaks those words, but not only does he say those things, but through saying those things, he puts it into the hearts of his people. That's how he puts it into the hearts, through the word. The Spirit of Jesus Christ lives in our hearts and lets us share in Christ's work. And the Spirit works faith and repentance in us. When we pray, he grants us forgiveness of all our sins. Everything is then really and truly forgiven, no longer remembered. As far as the east is from the west, so far are our sins removed from us then. 
And what a relief for us to be able to know that. For our sins and our shortcomings and weaknesses that can bother us a lot, can't they? Those, those sins and weaknesses. Saying about that in Psalm 40. That can bother us. Those things we said and did in the past which we knew were wrong. The bad habits so hard to break. And the so-called respectable sins which you don't even realize you committed. All of ourselves, we're totally, we, we've totally ruined things with God. How can he be gracious to us? You know that you haven't earned a thing but death. Your sins and sinfulness, they follow you, they haunt you. You don't feel worthy to be his child. But then the Spirit says, in the last verse we, we read in Hebrews 10, now where there is remission of these, those sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. No offering is needed. In other words, where there is forgiveness of sins, you don't need anything more. Jesus has accomplished everything for you. Totally everything. All your sins and shortcomings and weaknesses in thought, word, and deed. All forgiven because of Christ's sacrifice. That's what the Spirit says. And congregation, let's let the, the, the word of the Spirit Let's let that convince us and let the Lord's Supper confirm that word. That gives encouragement and rest, the complete forgiveness of all your sins. We don't have to depend on a single thing from ourselves when it comes to making things right with God. And what could we do anyway? No, the, the triune God has made the impossible possible. It was God the Father's gracious will to send His Son into this world to save us sinners. And it was the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ, to perf perfectly fulfill His Father's will, even to being forsaken by His Father on the cross until He cried out, it is finished. And that, all that is a wonder which the Holy Spirit impresses on our hearts by the word and the sacrament which visibly confirms the word. And he declares the new covenant in Christ's blood. The new covenant which doesn't need any offerings for sin because of that once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Congregation, if you think about all that, then you realize how joyful we ought to be and how thankful to be able to confess one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This triune God has willed, has worked, and spoken the word of salvation, which is gloriously complete, a salvation which perfects for all time those who look to and love this God how happy we should be that we can celebrate that salvation from sin with the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper this afternoon. Let's absorb those signs and seals of that once-for-all sacrifice, not only in, in our bodies, but especially in our hearts. And then, when we leave here, live as forgiven people, as people who are free to love and serve. As people on the way to the perfection already obtained by Christ, 
as eternally grateful people. Amen.